Hey, listen, guys, I want to pray as we close out this series. Just ask God to really speak to your lives today. So will you guys pray with me? Father, I love you. God, I thank you today for grace and for mercy. Lord, I believe that you want people in this house, God, to experience true life change, that God comes through you. So, Lord, I pray God speak through the word. Open our hearts to hear what it is that you want to say to us. And, Father, I pray in Jesus' name, God, don't just bless today, but, Father, this week, Lord, we pray, God, we... Uh, Father, we're thankful for the King James Version, but Father, we pray, God, you bless King James and the Cavaliers. Father, help them sweep the Atlanta Hawks and bring a crown to the land in Jesus' name. Everybody who agrees said amen. amen. Thanks for agreeing with me on that. Well, hey, listen, um, <laughs> today as we finish this series, I want to talk about making the cut. Everybody shout, make the cut. There are some pictures, you guys know this, when you take a selfie, not every selfie you take makes the cut. Not every picture you take of yourself kind of makes it on social media. In fact, I would say this, that there are a lot of times we take 9, 10, 20, 30 pictures of ourselves kind of before we get the right one that gets the right angle in the right light that kind of highlights our strengths, minimizes our weakness. I never really knew this, but girls, you know this. How many girls know you got a good side? My wife's always like, got to get my good side. So it doesn't matter where I stand. It's just got to get her good side. Right, because here's what we're doing is we're trying to highlight, kind of putting everything in this right perspective, trying to make everything look great. And so most of the time, again, we post pictures that present ourselves in the best light. Here's a couple that really don't do this. And I just want to say this. Here's some pictures, and these aren't as good as I wanted because I'll be honest, the funniest selfies you can't show in church. That's the truth. But here's a couple I thought, you know, here's a guy I don't have a girlfriend, but he does have a giraffe couple animal selfies. Here's one. This is why I don't like cats. Look at that. Does that cat not look like he wants to rip that kid's face off? Dogs never do it. Dogs want to lick you, love you. That's it. Article I just read, by the way, for all the dog people, when you hug your dog, you cause them anxiety. Who knew? This is funny. I love this. Is that not perfect? Is that not perfect timing for an animal selfie? Ouch. Here's one. I love this. Nothing like getting caught in a selfie when you don't want to be in the selfie. Here's one, uh, nothing like posting on social media, hi, mom and dad, come bail us out of jail. A couple weeks ago, we talked about being selfie-absorbed. Here's a couple people that are maybe just, uh, I don't know, maybe taking a, a picture, a selfie at the wrong time. Here's one, I love this one. Isn't that a beautiful girl? You may not, guys, you may like get lost in the, lost in the beauty. Do you notice the baby on the bathroom counter? Like, here, you lay here while I get a picture of me crazy. Here's one. I love it. Botox gone wrong for a whole, all the world to see. So unlike these selfies, again, most of us, we tend to pick, post pictures of ourselves that kind of put us in the best light. Um, we tend to kind of hide or diminish those pictures that really show off things about us that don't flatter us. You know, it's funny. Sometimes we'll take pictures and sometimes even myself, if I do a selfie and I'm looking at it, trying to decide which one out of the 37 I took to post, I'm like, I don't like this one. It makes my belly look big. You know, I don't like this one. It makes my ears look small. You know, I like this one. It makes my hair look gray. I'm just going to tell you, it's not the lens. It's not the, it's not the, it's not the picture. It's not the person who took it. My belly looks big because I got a big belly. My ears look small. Come on, I'm just putting myself out there. You got to put yourself out there. My ears look small because I got small ears. And some of you didn't notice that. Now that's all you're going to do the rest of this service. 
look at my diminished ears, right? My hair doesn't look gray because of the sunlight or because of the filter. My hair looks gray because I've got gray hair. But what we do is, again, we kind of catch the right angle, the right side, the right picture with the right filter and the right lens. And we present ourselves on social media as if kind of we live this perfect life and everything's together. And what I have found is that our life is a lot like a selfie, that what we let people see about ourselves is kind of only our best light, only our best angle. We don't want people to know that there are issues in our life where we're struggling, that there are dysfunctions in our life. And when I say in our life, maybe it's in your heart, where maybe you have a lot of doubt or a lot of guilt or a lot of shame. Maybe it's in your mind. Maybe it's with the things you're wrestling with. Maybe you battle anxiety or you're wrestling with depression or fear. Or maybe it's our life, maybe in your area of your life, maybe it's your relationships are out of order, maybe your finances are upside down. But again, here's what I know is for all of us in this room, we have these areas that are not really healthy, that are not really the way that we know they probably could be or should be. And we wrestle with that reality, but we minimize it. We're sure that we don't let other people know it. We might wrestle internally, but we never really deal with the issue. And so today, what I want to tell you is this, is that if you don't do something with the dysfunction in your life, it will destroy your future. If you don't do something, if you don't deal with that dysfunction, if you don't tackle the depression, if if you don't don't kind of make a decision about what's going on in unhealthy relationships, if you don't do something about the finances that are out of order, if you don't make some kind of movement in the right direction to overcome those things, then eventually it's going to keep you from everything that God has for you. When I say the word destiny, that's such a powerful word. But you know, Jesus said this. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the full. And when Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the full, what he was saying was, he didn't, he didn't just mean heaven one day. Hey, I've come to give you heaven. Jesus said, I've come to radically transform your everyday life. That as I interact with who you are, and as you open up your life to my grace and my power, that I have the capacity and the ability to lead you into a life that would never be possible apart from me. And so when Jesus said, I've come to give you life, he said, I want you to have a future. I want you to have a destiny. But again, the the challenge is, is some of us have dysfunctions in areas of our lives that we haven't really dealt with. We have things that are fouling up our future. We have have things that are hurting our potential. And so today, here's the big question I want to ask as we finish this series today, is this right here. What is the dysfunction in your life that needs to be addressed? What is the area in your heart? What is the area in your home? What is the issue that you're struggling with? What is the thing, maybe maybe not everybody knows about it. Again, you're only presenting your best side to people. Maybe friends that are kind of acquaintances, they may not know. But for the most part, you're like aware. There's this thing that's going on in your life that if you're ever going to really walk in everything that God has for you, If you're really going to be the person that you know that you have the potential to be, you have to address this dysfunction. What is it in your life that needs to be challenged? Today, we're going to look as we have throughout this series, The Life of Abraham, and really, really cool story. So again, God shows up on the scene in the life of this guy by the name of Abraham, who's married to a woman by the name of Sarah. And he promises this couple that God is going to bless them and they're going to have a son. The reason it's a powerful promise, as many of you know, is Abraham is 75 years old and his wife is 65. So they're kind of past the dating days, 
Back in the day, they didn't have any little blue pills. She was beyond the place where her, her womb could bear a child. So for them to get pregnant at 75 and 65, it would have been a miracle. And God tells Abraham and Sarah, not only will they have a child, this, this is cool. In Genesis chapter 12, God shows up and says, hey, Abraham, I want you to leave your family, leave your father's house, and go to a land that I'll show you. So God says, hey, I'm not only going to bless your kid, I'm not only going to give you a kid, but God says, I'm going to bless a nation to come forth from that one child. I'm going to give you an entire multitude of family as the same number of grains of sand on the beach, as the same number of stars in the sky. I'm going to give you a multitude. I'm going to give you an extended family tree. And he says, also, I'm going to give them their own land. He says, I'm going to lead you to a land. I'm going to lead you to ultimately what we know the Bible calls the Jewish homeland, the promised land. And so God gives all these promises. And for you that were here last week, we know what happened. Sarah and Abraham got impatient waiting for God to fulfill his promise. Sometimes we get impatient waiting on God. Sometimes when God doesn't do what we think he should do, when we think we sh- he should do it, we take matters into our own hands. And so that's exactly what happened. Sarah goes to her husband, Abraham. This is 11 years after they get the promise. She is now 76. Abraham's 86. And he's like, she's like, listen, honey, I love you, but I obviously can't give you the kid that God said you would have. So I want you to go in and I want you to sleep with my servant, Hagar. And she can possibly give you a son. And so Abraham, he really debates and he's like, um, okay. And he goes in and he sleeps with Hagar. And she gets pregnant and bursts forth this baby boy by the name of Ishmael. Now, just track with me. So this boy is born in Abraham's own strength, not in the promise and the timing of God. And God shows up and says, listen, you're not going to do this in your strength. You're going to do it in my promise. I didn't tell you to have a child through Hagar. I promised a child to you and your wife, Sarah. And so he makes it very clear that this son, Ishmael, is not the promised child. And so they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting. And you tick through the story of Genesis as it pertains to the life of Abraham. And here's the crazy thing is, while they're waiting with this baby Ishmael growing from a young boy into a young man, five years pass, 10 years pass, 13 years pass, and they're still waiting for the promise. And finally, Sarah runs in with a little stick with a positive sign on it. Honey, I'm pregnant. And they can't believe it. Abraham is 99 years old and his wife, Sarah, is 89. Fast forward a year ahead, a year ahead. He's now 100 years old and he's holding the promised child that God said he would have. He is holding in his hands Isaac. Check this out. Fast forward now another, we don't know for sure, but somewhere between two and five years, and we're going to see this in a minute, this young, this young child that God blesses Abraham and Sarah with is weaned. When it, when it says weaned, it means ultimately he got off, well, they didn't have bottles back then, but he was uh, breastfeeding. He, was, he wasn't doing that anymore. I was looking for a word, and I, they were all inappropriate, and I just, I just had to keep rolling. So he wasn't breastfeeding anymore. Check this out. We're going to see this in the story. So Abraham brings his young child, Isaac, the one God blessed him with when they couldn't have a child in their own strength. God celebrates his weaning. Now, here's the crazy thing. Track with me. Watch. So Ishmael, at this point, he's 16 to 18 years old, which 
I know it's easy to read in the story, but we got to get into the story. Can you imagine the tension in that home? Can you imagine the chaos in that home? That for now, the last 16 to 18 years, Abraham not only has his wife Sarah in the home, but now he's got his lover Hagar. Come on, anybody here think that would be a little bit uncomfortable? Not only does he have his new, uh, his new bride Hagar, but she's probably a lot younger and a lot, a lot hotter than, than Sarah. Let's just be honest. She was able to have a child because she was much younger than Sarah. Can you imagine how maybe just a little bit jealous that Sarah was against Hagar? Not only that, but she was able to give her husband a child when she couldn't. And so now this child has grown up again from a baby to a toddler to a child to a young man, 16 to 18 years old. Here's the question. Watch this. So in the midst of this chaos in this house, in the midst of the tension in the room of that home, Hagar and Ishmael, they were the elephant in the room. They weren't supposed to be there. He should have never slept with her. He should have, uh, he should have never got out on his own strength. He made a bad decision that took him down a bad path that brought all kinds of chaos in an area of his house. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this story, here's the challenge is, God expects Abraham to do something about the situation he got himself in to get back on the path that God has for him. So let me just ask you a question. What's the elephant in your room? What's the area of your life that maybe you made a decision and it seemed like a good decision at the time, but really it's not panned out? And now you're, you feel like maybe you're stuck in this situation. Maybe you're here and you're dating somebody and you're maybe a year or two into this relationship. And if you're honest, the guy doesn't really treat you right or the girl's not really a fit for you, but like you're already two years in, you've already invested, you're like, ah, you know, not really probably the person I want to spend my life with, but maybe you're at a job, and I know people like this, and maybe you know people like this. I know people that are in jobs they're not happy with, and they spend all kinds of energy complaining about the job they're in, but zero energy getting a new job. I'm like, <laughs> they're like, I hate my job, and I hate my boss, and I, I hate everybody I work with. Listen, I just want to tell you this. If, if you don't get along with anybody in your office, they're not the problem. If you can't think of anybody in your office you like, they may not like you either. But here's the thing is there's this, again, we make decisions that get ourselves in situations and then we feel trapped, we feel overwhelmed, we know we're not where, we're not where we need to be. Maybe you're here and you're in debt up to your eyeballs or you're struggling with things in your heart. And the question is, again, listen to this, what area of your life, what dysfunction in your life do you need to deal with before it destroys your destiny? What area of your life is fouling up your future? What area of your life are you not really walking in the things that God has for you? Because Jesus came to give you life. And what I want to tell you today is in order to have the life he wants you to have, sometimes you got to make the cut. Everybody shout, make the cut. we got to tackle an area of our life to get to the place that God wants for us. And that's exactly what happens in this story. Check this out. Genesis chapter 21. Everyone read this with me. When Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion. I mean, how cool is that? Abraham's like, I get my wife back. Let's celebrate. Verse 9. But Sarah saw Ishmael. This is so big. But Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham, and her Egyptian servant Hagar, making fun of her son Isaac. Now listen, you can mess with a mama, but don't mess with the mama's babies. Come on, moms. So she's standing there. She's tolerated living in the shadow of Hagar. 
She's tolerated living in the shadow of her beauty. She's tolerated for a period of time living in the reality that she could give her husband a child she was not able to for 13 years. And in the middle of all this chaos, I'm sure there was tension in the house, but finally the rubber met the road. They came to the end when she seen that Hagar and Ishmael was messing with her baby Isaac. And she was like, that's enough. Now I'm going to tell you something, guys. This is so big because what do you think was going on? What do you think Ishmael was telling Isaac? Hey, you ain't the promised child. I'm the firstborn. It meant something in that culture to be the firstborn. Listen, I don't, care, I don't care who God said you are. I don't care who daddy thinks you are. I'm the firstborn. I'm older than you. And he was, Ishmael was bullying Isaac. And not just Ishmael, the Bible says Hagar was too. What I want you to know is there's some of us in this room, anybody in this room, have you ever had your past bully your future? Have you ever had a mistake that you've made in your past start telling you your future isn't possible? Listen, I know in this room, man, that sometimes there's things that we, decisions we've made in our past that tell us and try to dictate to us the limitations of our future. And maybe you're here, maybe you didn't, maybe you didn't finish college, maybe you didn't get your degree, and it's telling you, listen, you're never going to amount to anything. Maybe you've never even finished high school, and that thing is just taunting you, telling you're never going to make it. I know in the culture we live, maybe you're here, maybe you've been divorced, Like maybe you got married really young and you couldn't figure out marriage and you couldn't figure out what it meant to be married. And now you got divorced and now people are telling you or you feel like in your heart, like you're never going to be married. You're going to grow up one day and you're just going to die single and alone. Because there are a lot of times we feel like a decision in our life is so powerful that it has the power to dictate our entire future. And I want you to know that there is no one decision any person in this room could ever make that can limit the power of God showing up in your life. Your past does not have the power to dictate your future. God does. When I, when I, was, in, when I was in college, um, you know, I was, I was full bore, baby. I was pedal to the metal. I wanted to get in and get out. Um, I was always kind of a natural student, just excelled, and it was easier for me. And, uh, you know, I took 18 to 20 credit hours every semester, went both summer semesters, and took anywhere from 9 to 12 credit hours. If you that are college students, you know that's a heavy load. Worked two jobs, dated my girlfriend, Shauna, which was a full-time job, which is why we made it. <laughs> and uh, one summer semester, I took Calc 3. I was in the School of Engineering, and the, the policy at that time was that if you got a D or an F, they would uh, remove you from the School of Engineering. They would remove you from, at least for a period. And I didn't want removed. Took Calc 3 in the summer, which was the worst move ever. I mean, any, anybody here math people? You love math. Three of you. That's awesome. We have two doctors and engineering here. And so, man, I'm rolling in this class, but I'm struggling. I'm not putting in the time. I'm not studying right. Comes to the end, the final exam. And I go into the final exam really unprepared. And I know I don't do well. I know it's probably not looking good. And anybody here remember what it's like to walk to class where they had to post the grades outside the class? And I'm like, no, no D, no, in the name of Jesus, no D, no F. I mean, like, do I have to hack a computer? No D. And my heart is beating. This is true. I still have dreams about this. Like, this is like, this traumatized me. And I remember walking and finding my name, Husky, Husky. And there it was, C minus. Heaven opened and the angels sang. Ah! I was like, thank you, gee, I was so happy for a C minus. But here's the funny thing is while I, while I made it through that class, it's crazy the power that that one grade, I felt like it had over my entire future. I want you to know something. Every one of us in this room, 
we make decisions at times that either are poor decisions in the future or end up being poor, uh, poor decisions that we didn't think would end up that way. But regardless, no matter what decision you've made and while you made it, you are not held captive or hostage to your past. What God wants you to do is to do something about what's bullying your future. And we're going to talk about that. Watch this next verse. Come on. Verse 10. So she turned. This is so good. So she turned to Abraham and demanded. Everybody read this with me. Get rid of that slave woman and her son. Didn't even call her by her first name. This is what she said. Sarah said to Abraham, Hagar and Ishmael got to go. She wasn't supposed to be here in the first place. She wasn't supposed to be married to you in the first place. I made a bad decision by saying you could sleep with her, and you made a worse decision by sleeping with her. Now you got a child by her, but nonetheless, he's not the promised child. He's not the one God planned for us. He's not the one God intended for us. We got to get back on track with what God has for us, and the only way you do that is by making the cut. And so she demands that Abraham make the cut. Everybody say that, make the cut. He is not, watch this, he is not going to share the inheritance with my son Isaac. I won't have it. See what's going on here. This is so, this is so big. Again, at this point in the story, Ishmael is 16 to 18 years old. The reason that's important is because in early Hebrew culture, in the culture he was in, in early culture, when you were a young man of 16 to 18, you were coming into the age where you began to take the authority of your father. You could speak on behalf of your father. You could do business, tractions on, business transactions on behalf of the family name. You could take property that belonged to the family. Remember, the property he had was supposed to go to who? Isaac. And what she recognized was this. Y'all got to get this. What she recognized was this, was the decision that Abraham made was eventually, if he didn't deal with it, was going to start robbing his future. And see, I want you guys to know this, that every one of us in this room, we make bad decisions. And while we try to minimize them or minimalize them, while we try to downplay them, at the end of the day, guys, at some point, if you don't deal with the dysfunction, it will eventually rob your future. It will limit your potential. And she said, I'm not having it. You say, what do I do? How do I deal with the dysfunction? Here we go. Watch. Again, get rid of the slave woman. She is demanding she is demanding that Abraham make a decision. The peace, here we go. The peace, everybody read this. The peace that we need and the promise that we hope for is within our power to have. The peace you need and the promise you hope for, man, it's within our power. But the way that we got to do that, the way that we show that power is by making a decision. Everybody shout, make a decision. You got to just make a decision. The decision that she demands to be made is that he go and drive out, cast out Hagar and Ishmael. But watch his response. This upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. Think about this for a minute. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the pressure that Abraham felt? Even though he's got this elephant in the room, in the tension between Hagar and and Sarah, and now this tension that's developing between his two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, man, the thought of getting rid of him, this is his baby boy. This was one of his wives, and man, he's confronted with, you got to move on. And I'm just telling you, everybody in this room, you've got a because. You've got a reason why you don't want to make the hard decision. I'm going to give you four real quick. If you're taking notes, I want you to write these things down. 
Here's why a lot of us don't deal with the dysfunction that's keeping us from our destiny. Number one is comfort. Everybody shout comfort. Because while you might be like hoping for something more, you're not really uncomfortable enough to do something about it. And here's the truth for all of us. Until your, um, until your comfortability is overwhelmed or outweighed by being uncomfortable, you won't change. And sometimes you can look at a situation, again, you'll put up with things from a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You'll put up with things for a job. You'll put up with dysfunction in your finances. You'll put up with situations that are holding you back as long as it's not too bad. I remember uh, probably 10 years ago, we were out at a restaurant, my wife and I, and we were eating. And I took a bite of something and I bit down and I heard this crunch. And I thought someone had put a rock. Well, not intentionally, but I thought someone had put a rock or there was a rock in this food. And so I spit the food out and there was a little piece of my tooth that my back molar had broken. It didn't stop me from eating the rest of my dinner, but so this, this, it wasn't painful. It didn't bother me. And so the next time I went to the dentist, you know, I pointed, well, he's seen it. This is what he said. He said, Hey, he said, you're probably going to want to do something with that. And so it didn't bother me. It wasn't painful. So I kind of blew it off. Well, about six months later, I'm out eating again and (laughs) I hit another rock. (laughs) There's another, another big piece of this tooth broke off, but it wasn't painful. It didn't bother me. So I went back to the dentist for, for, to get my teeth clean. And this is what he said. He said, listen, you need to get that tooth pulled. You need to get your tooth pulled. And no matter how much he told me, I kept saying, yeah, I will. Yeah, I will. Every six months, I'd go back for a checkup. Wasn't painful. Didn't bother me. Nobody could, you know, wasn't like a tooth was missing in the front of my, you know, in front of my mouth. Like, I didn't really care. But I'll never forget. He, he looked at me one day and he said, Steve, I've been telling you for years, for several years, you need to get this tooth pulled. He actually had this little camera, like it was like on this little wine. He said, let me show you what I'm seeing so you can see this. And he took this little camera I was watching, and he showed me like half my tooth was missing. It was crazy. Like it looked really bad. And this is what he said. He said, you don't have to get it pulled, but there's going to come a day that you're going to wish that tooth was pulled. And it's going to be too late because it's going to be like 3 o'clock in the morning on a weekend, and you can't get in to see a dentist. And I started thinking about that level of discomfort that was coming Man, I called the dentist right away. And at the end of the day, here's the crazy thing is, I was afraid of the dentist. I was just afraid of admitting it. Because who wants to get a tooth pulled? So I show up at this dentist. I go in, he comes in and he numbs me. And like, I had all the pictures you see on TV where they're like sitting on your chest with both their knees. Like I imagine like a jackhammer, you know, like da 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 He comes in and he's like, he just shoots me up and he says, hey, I'll be back in a minute. He comes back in a few minutes. He reaches up, grabs a pair of pliers. Like, it looked like a pair of pliers out of a rusty toolbox. <laughs> Just reached in my mouth and pulled, and, like, that's all I felt was this pressure. And he's like, well, I'll be back in a minute. I was like, oh, no, like, he's going to have to get, like, bigger pliers. And here, I reached back. My tongue was already gone. I mean, it's just like, and it was gone. Here's the thing. Here's what I want you to hear is, guys, sometimes you will settle for something less than what God has for you. You'll be just comfortable enough with the relationship, just comfortable enough with the career, just comfortable enough with the degree, just comfortable enough with the family situation. But I'm telling you, God doesn't want you comfortable. God wants you blessed. God wants you walking in full life now. So we've got to get past just being comfortable. Number two reason, guys, sometimes we don't make the decision. Number two is because change is difficult. If you're in a job and you're not happy, Sometimes the thought of getting out of the grind, you know your boss, you know your coworkers, you know your job, you know your expectations, and the thought of going through interviews, applying, dropping off applications, the thought of 
possibly having to drive to a new location, build new relationships, learn a new technique or learn a new job, sometimes might feel overwhelming. And so, guys, sometimes there's this fear, like if I tackle this situation, the decision that I need to make is just too uncomfortable. It's just too much because change is difficult. But here's what I want you to know. Change might be difficult, but it's worth it. I celebrate Nathan's story that here's a man that looked in the mirror, was not happy with his health. And I want you to know, I love it. He he made this comment. He said, I had to make the decision to put the donut down. I've not made that decision yet, but I celebrate that Nathan has made that decision. That he looked at, he said, you know what, man, it was tough to get up and go to the gym. It was tough to make the hard decision. But what he found out was this, and here's what I want you to know, is when you make the decision to make the cut, that God will empower our decisions. God will give us grace when we make a decision to possess and walk in everything he died for us to have. That God will give us the grace to experience the life that he wants us to experience. Number three reason that we don't make the change, number three reason we don't make the decision is fear of the future. When we look forward from where we are to maybe where we want to go, here's what I want to say, especially if you're in a dating relationship. If you're here, maybe not just a dating relationship, maybe you're already engaged. I was praying through this last night and felt like God spoke this to maybe just a handful here, maybe someone online. Maybe you even have a date to be married. And your thought is, Pastor Steve, you know what, man, I know this isn't really a great relationship for me to be in, but the thought of being alone is worse than the thought of being in a difficult relationship. Worse yet, maybe you're here and like, Pastor Steve, if I get out of this relationship, like what's going to happen to him? What's going to happen to her? And here's what I felt like the Lord say to me. If they're not part of your future, they're not your responsibility. Don't stay connected to somebody because you feel obligated to take care of them. They're not your responsibility. Don't be afraid of the future. You have to know that the God who holds you holds your future, and all you can do is make the decisions that you have in your power to make and believe God to do what you can never do. Here's the last one. This is big. This is so huge. Number four is pride. You know the reason some people don't change? Because they don't want to admit they need to change. They want to put on this facade to everybody that everything's great, everything's okay. They just refuse to be honest with themselves that something's dysfunctional, that something's broken. We, I see all the time, and you guys see this. Again, man, this kind of this reality people live in, and it's just kind of spray-painted gold. It's not real. It's just a facade. You can see right through it, especially when it comes to cars. I, it's, it's kind of crazy. I've joked about this before, but it's, I see it all the time. We just had this conversation again uh, in our own house, but how many people here remember their first car? You remember the very first car you drove? Real quick, tell the person beside you what your first car was. Tell them beside them, real quick, what your first car was. I remember my first car because my parents, they told us this. They said, hey, listen, we're going we're gonna to get you a first car. And I remember rolling into this parking lot. My dad told me where it was at. I got in the car with him. We pull into this little apartment complex. And I remember pulling in, seeing about eight, about seven or eight cars in this parking lot. And when I seen these cars, none of them really looked great. But I remember one in particular, I thought, and I didn't pray then, I wasn't a Christian, but I remember thinking, Jesus, just don't let it be that car. Like, it'll be any other car, but Lord, don't let it be that car. And he's driving through this parking lot, and he drives, and he comes to the car that I prayed it wouldn't be my first car. My first car was a 1978 Mercury Grand Marquis Banana Yellow. It was a land yacht. It was as big as this stage. When I drove down the road, everybody got out of the way because it took up the whole road. Man, I hated that car. But here's the thing. Listen, listen. My parents could afford that car. 
And we live in a culture right now, it's, it's crazy. Now, if you have the money to buy your kids a new car, man, I celebrate that with you. But here's the crazy thing. My, uh, both my daughters, and I'm sure my son when he's 16, like just expect that we're going to buy them a new car. Because we live in a culture right now where all these young kids are driving new cars. And again, if you can afford it, it's great. But here's the thing is, listen, if you're here and you're a parent and you feel obligated to buy your kid a new car, all you're doing is setting them up for a system that they themselves probably can't continue to finance. And we live in this society where, man, kids are driving these cars that are way outside. First of all, I'm just saying you probably need to to buy them a fender bender car in the first place because when they're an inexperienced driver, they're probably going to bump into something. But in this culture right now, my, my kids, my daughter's like, Dad, buy me a new car for graduation. Buy me a new car for graduation. I'm like, listen, first of all, you only graduated high school. It's not that hard. I did it. <laughs> like, you can sleep through most of it, and you're probably going to be okay. But listen, I drive a 2007 Dodge Durango. And it's not because I don't have the money. I have the, buy, I have the money to buy a new car. I just, I'm okay driving what I drive. But I just want you to know this. If I'm not driving a new car, you show as heck ain't driving a new car. But here's what I want you to know is, listen, again, there's this false pride. There's this false humility where we look at people and they look successful. They look like they got it going on. But the little dirty secret behind closed doors, the dysfunction that they're not willing to deal with is that they're in debt up to their eyeballs. They're living paycheck to paycheck, robbing Peter to pay Paul. And I'm just telling you, we got to be honest. Can you all hear me today? We got to be honest with the dysfunction in our life, whether it's emotionally or financially or relationally, until we own up with the struggle, God can't fix it, but it starts with us making making a decision that I don't want to be here anymore. And if I got to cut it out, I'm going to cut it out to have what God wants for me. See, your decision, your decision has the power to close the door in your past and open the door in your future, just in the power of a decision. And so watch what Abraham does. I love this. Next verse. It says, if you cling to your life, go back, go back to Genesis, please. It says, this upset Abraham because... Uh, because Ishmael was his son. Again, he was wrestling with this. Here's the point I want to give you real quick. Promoting self will kill you, but killing self will promote you. If you are too proud to admit, and you got to hold on to your decisions because you're afraid that you made mistakes, or you're afraid to admit to people that you need help, you're going to be stuck where you are. Again, promoting self will kill you, but killing self will promote you. Here's what Jesus said. Watch this, Luke chapter 17. He says, if you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you let your life go, you will save it. It's powerful. Keep rolling the story, Genesis. He says, but God told Abraham, do not be upset over the boy and your servant. Again, he says, what he's saying is, God's saying, he's not part of your future. So he's not your responsibility. (laughs) I want every man in this room, you got to shout this with me. Do whatever Sarah tells you. Don't don't no men want to say it. I need every man in this room do it with me. Come on. Do whatever Sarah tells you. Listen, I got all day. Every man in this room shout it. Do whatever Sarah tells you. That stings a little bit, don't it? Here's the funny thing is watch. God God is not abdicating to Sarah saying, "Hey, I don't know what to do. Do whatever Sarah tells you." What God is doing is God is backing up what Sarah's always already said. The first person that Abraham hears from to do the right thing is from his wife. Men, I want you to hear this. 
The person who has your back more than anybody else in this world is your wife. The person who cares for you the most, the person who knows you the most, the person who knows your struggles, the person who knows your battles, the person who has and wants you to see you succeed more than anybody else is your spouse. And I don't know what it is because I'm this way too. Like, I'm going to tell you what my wife's going to do with this message because she does it with a lot of my messages. We're going to go home at some point today. She's going to say something, and I'm not going to like it. And she's going to say, well, you told everybody else to do what Sarah says. <laughs> and I'm going to be like every other guy in this room, and I'm going to put up this, this, this thing. I'm going to be offended. I don't want my wife telling me what I should do. But I want you to know something. Your wife has wisdom that you need. And here's Sarah living in the middle of this chaos, and Abraham can't see it. And so Sarah has to speak up and says, Abraham, you got to make a decision about the dysfunction in this home. We can't live like this anymore. And if you don't do something about it, your Ishmael is going to eat up our inheritance. Isaac is the promise. This path is the right path. This career is the right choice. This person is supposed to be your spouse. You got to make a decision to deal with dysfunction. And so maybe you're here and you're not married. Maybe you just got some close friends. I want you to hear me. Listen, you need to find the person who loves Jesus the most. And that's the person that needs to give you, that needs to have your permission to give you wisdom. Listen, your lost friends shouldn't be the people speaking to you about life decisions. Your people who are living a life that you know doesn't honor God should not be the person who has your ear. Find somebody who loves Jesus. Find someone who really cares about you. And get wisdom from them. The Bible says there is wisdom in the multitude of counsel. We need to surround ourselves with people that's going to help challenge the dysfunction in our life. If you're surrounded with people that never challenge you, you're surrounding yourself with the wrong people. And so here he is hanging out with Sarah. Sarah gets up in his grill, gets up in his chili, says, hey, you got to do something about this. It's not good. Okay, keep rolling. It says, so Abraham, I love this. Everybody read it. We're almost done. So Abraham got up early the next morning. Why did he do it the next morning? Because he didn't want to change his mind later in the afternoon. He finally decided, I'm going to do something about it. So before he could change his mind, first thing in the morning, he gets up, prepares food in a container of water, straps him on Hagar's shoulder, and sends her packing. Then he sent her son. Then he sent her away with their son. What he said was, listen, I can't have what God wants me to have as long as I have you. And so something's got to change. And before it can ever change, i got to make a decision. And so that's absolutely what he did. Abraham made a decision to deal with the dysfunction. Abraham made a decision to deal with the elephant in the room. So I asked you a question in the beginning. What's the dysfunction in your life that you need to deal with before it destroys your destiny? What's the thing that's fouling up your future? What's the area of your life that's going to compromise your potential? Abraham made the hardest decision I could could conceive of, but he did it. And you can follow Abraham's story. Abraham eventually, through his son Isaac, Isaac had some kids. The family line continued. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had Joseph. You can follow the family line as they explode into a nation. And ultimately, through the nation of Israel, comes forth again our Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. The reason we have a Savior, Jesus, was because 3,000 years ago, a guy was willing to make a really hard decision 
that not only benefited his life, but benefited the lives of generations to come. So what's the dysfunction in your life that needs to be dealt with? I want to pray for you and with you today that God would open your heart, that God would give you the strength of courage to make hard decisions, to deal with people, to deal with relationships, to deal with careers, to deal with whatever it is that's holding you back from God's best. I want you all to pray with me today. Father, I love you today. I thank you, Jesus, again, for the peace that we have through you. God, I pray that every person in this room would just be convinced that, God, again, you have good plans for them, that you have life and life more abundantly, that, God, you want us to walk in. But, Father, I pray, God, whatever decision that we made, that God is compromising our present, I pray, Father, help us to make hard decisions to get those things behind us. I pray, Father, that we would close the door on our past to open the door on our future. And, Father, I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed said amen. Hey, listen, with your head bowed just for one more minute, this first service we had, one of my staff guys caught me and said, hey, pastor, it wasn't eight or nine, it was 12 people first service that said yes to God's grace. And so I want to give all of you here the same opportunity. If you're watching online, I want you to know the Bible makes it clear that all of us, every single one of us, including myself, we're sinners. We make decisions that don't honor God. We break God's law. We do things contrary to what honors Him. And the Bible says that sin, that disobedience, that lifestyle doesn't just separate us from Him for a moment, but really for eternity. But because God loves you, because God loves me, He made a way for us to be reconnected with Him. He made a way for us to find grace and forgiveness. And that's offered through His Son, Jesus. So if you're here today and you've never, maybe you knew religion or you knew church, but you never knew that God radically loves you, maybe you're hearing for the first time that Jesus, the reason he died wasn't to establish a world religion. The reason Jesus died on the cross was to make a way to have a relationship with you. So the Bible says not only have we all sinned, but the Bible says again the wages of our sin is death, to be separated from God. But God made a way again through his son Jesus so we could be forgiven. He made a way for us to experience radical, life-changing grace. And so all across this room or those watching online, if you're here, you say, Pastor Steve, I've never said yes to God's grace. Like I've played church and I've, I've like done religion, but I've never said yes to God's grace. I've never opened my heart to his love for me. Then all over this room, I'm gonna pray in a minute. If you say, Pastor Steve, listen, I recognize that I've made some mistakes. I recognize, man, that I've sinned, that I've done things my own way. And I need God to forgive me. I want his grace. I want his love. In a minute when I pray, if you want included in that prayer all over this room, from side to side, front to back, real quick, I want you to throw a hand. Say, Pastor Steve, pray for me. I want to give my life to Jesus today. I want God's grace in my life. I want to experience his love. If that's you, real quick, come on, raise a hand high. Say, Pastor Steve, pray for me. I want to give my life to Christ today. Come on, leave your hand up. Throw it up. Just leave it up so I can see you. So I want to give my life to Jesus today. To my right, your left, thank you. Up front, thank you. In the back, thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? We want to pray with the three or four hands I've seen lifted. I want you all to do me a favor, church family. Will you pray with them? If you raised your hand, the Bible says that if you'll say it out of your mouth, if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and you believe that he died for you, and you believe he rose again, the Bible says by that, that action of faith, of believing, 
his promise. The Bible says in that you're saved. So I want you to pray with me. Come on, church family. Will you pray with me? Say, Jesus, I believe that you love me, that you died for me. I confess my sin. I ask you to save me, to forgive me, and give me a new beginning. I believe you died for me, and I believe you rose again. And right now, I'm your child, and I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed said amen. Come on, can we thank God, church? Come on, for these three or four here. Hey, listen, guys, next week in here, Faith, is going to be a big week. And again, it's one of our, one of our higher attended Sundays. want to make sure, moms, you're here. we got some great things set up for you. And uh, again, if you're here, maybe your mom lives in town, get her, bring her here. It's going to be a great weekend. If you're a first-time guest here today, thanks for showing up. If you'll do us a favor, stop by the Connect Room. People there want to shake your hand, put a gift in your hand as a way of saying thanks for being here. If you need prayer, we say it every week. People in our prayer and care room out to the left would love to pray with you guys. Love you guys. Look forward to seeing you back next weekend as we start a brand new series entitled The Emoji Life. God bless you.